Hi, everyone. This is Vanessa Richardson. I'm the executive director of California Groundbreakers, and I am here for our second mini podcast that we call Icebreakers. We're doing them for our next event, the Brewmasters. It is happening on Wednesday, October 11th at the Red Museum. And it's one of our Food for Thought series of events focusing on innovators in food, wine, beer, ag, farming, everything to do with what we eat and drink. And this is the second podcast, like I said before, mini podcasts we're doing with other people in the beer industry who are doing innovative things. So last time we interviewed J.E. Pano of Roostaller, who grows his own hops. We talked to him specifically about that. He was one of the panelists on our panel last year about the California craft beer industry. And this podcast, I'm going to be talking with another person who sat on that panel, which is a great panel, by the way. And we're going to put the podcast up again uh, because he was a great contributor in terms of uh, his experience and knowledge of beer. I'm talking about Charlie Banforth, who is the Anheuser-Busch Endowed Professor of Malting and Brewing Sciences at UC Davis's School of Food Sciences and Technology. He also has the great nickname of being the, he's the Pope of Foam. I always, I actually, my first question for you, Charlie, is how did you get that nickname? Who, who came up with that? And what do you think of it? Uh, well, it amuses me, slightly better than the Sultan of Suds, but uh, it was actually uh, a a postdoc or a, a, a visiting scientist that I had called uh, Jean-Pierre Biawa, who had uh, traveled over from Berlin. And he said, you know what they call you in Berlin? They call you the Pope of Foam. So I think I mentioned it to J.E. or somebody, and it's, it's stuck ever since. But uh, It's a very nice nickname, well, are it's you? Fine. It's fine. <laughs> it, it works. <laughs> uh, so I... I guess you can tell from his accent, he is not originally from the California, the United States. Where did you grow up, Charlie? I grew up in the northwest of England, um, a village uh, that is between Manchester and Liverpool, a village called Up Holland. So besides all the research Charlie has done uh, at UC Davis, he's also written a few books. One of the ones that I got to quickly glance through for this podcast, I love the title, Beer is Proof God Loves Us. That's Mm. the title. I think it's based on a, a... supposed quote that Benjamin Franklin... Yeah, I come clean right at the start of the book. I do point out that uh, it's, it's a neat title, but uh, Benjamin Franklin never said that. Benjamin Franklin basically said, wine is proof God loves us. But yeah, I, I lost a lot of, uh, of faith in Benjamin Franklin when I heard that. But nonetheless, it's, it fits beer just as well, I think. It's but, a great title. Yeah. And so I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the first few sentences in that book, the introduction, you started off by saying, my regular haunt as a boy was a pub called The Owl. I was not yet 17, and the legal drinking age in England was, and still is, is, 18, Mm -hmm. Friday evenings, one or two pints of Walker's Best Bitter, a bag of crisps, or we know them as chips, with a tiny blue bag of salt in every pack, Mm -hmm. and Woodbine cigarettes. (laughs) So I wanted to know, when you were a boy at the Owl, did you envision yourself going into a career uh, of working, researching, focusing on beer and becoming known as the Pope of Foam? Did no, back not then- in the slightest, not in the slightest. I uh, I only had one dream and that was to be the goalkeeper of Wolverhampton Wanderers Football Club. Uh, that's, I mean, I was obsessed with uh, with that club. 
and uh, it you, you inherit your father's uh, genes when it comes to football soccer and um, so my genes dictated Wolverhampton Wanderers and all I wanted to do was to, to be their goalkeeper and um, uh, obviously it never happened did it but uh, the, I got into the brewing industry really by accident um, I, I enjoyed beer from a, an age when I shouldn't have even been drinking it um, but uh, there was uh, it was all, always a sort of a social adjunct for the longest time before I actually joined the industry Was it and it's a social experience, especially in England. The pub is such a, yeah. a key part of every community. It is. Um, it's it's changing. Um, in those days, um, there were lots of pubs. I mean, upon alone, there must have been eight, ten pubs. Um, and they were fairly uh, rustic, should we say. I mean, you didn't go there for a dining experience. You went there for a beer and a conversation. There might have been a dartboard. There's certainly no uh, music or fine dining or anything like that. It's a different world these days in England. There's still some traditional pubs, um, but um, basically they're glossy places now, which are probably more about dining and entertainment than they are about the beer. And when you go to a tap room here in, say, Sacramento, yeah. are what are the comparisons and contrasts that you see between a tap room, as we um, call them here, and um, a pub in England? Well, in, in terms of the old-fashioned pubs, they they were, I, I don't know, I'd be brutal about it. I think they uh, they were the sorts of places where uh, my wife and I could go and have a have a beer and social. Well, they were they were pleasant, um, not too. Um, grimy should we say um, but uh, like I say not too noisy and glitzy and so on so there are different types of places here I enjoy going having a beer in a you know in a craft brewery um, location um, which are fairly rustic um, but some of the bars uh, long-standing bars I you know <laughs> find them fairly intimidating uh, places and I certainly wouldn't take Diane there and um, and at the other extreme, you you know, you have the hotels or what have you. So that's one of the things we actually missed when we first came here back in 1999. Sort of the pub. Uh, we we would like you know we like to go. Let's go have a let's go have a drink. And you go to a nice country pub with a garden outside and and have a beer and and so on. It was really very pleasant. And uh, those sorts of places are are few and far between uh, around here. So I wanted to ask you about your day job at UC Davis. Uh, on your uh, official page there as professor it says Dr. Bamford mm -hmm. specializes in the science of malting and brewing and his current research program focuses primarily on the wholesomeness of beer what what does that mean translate that into layman's um, terms it means beer and the quality of life and and I, I'm fond of saying that you know wine has probably over the years stolen the sort of the the moral high ground here and is perceived as being a, a quality drink uh, as part of a quality lifestyle. And beer probably was somewhat uh, down market. Uh, and I, f I regret that, and I don't like that. I, I feel that beer is a more sophisticated drink. I think it's more interesting. There's far greater diversity in the types of beer. Far better to pair with uh, a, a broader range of foods. And actually healthier for you. Um, there are some people in the industry who really hate it when I talk about beer and health because it it sort of conflicts with the way that beer is marketed and has been marketed for the longest time, which is, you know, selling large quantities of beer to people who perhaps behave badly. And I use words like moderation, uh, but focusing on the quality of the, of the drink, uh, of the beer in the context of beer enjoyable, excellent quality, but also something that is a great accompaniment to a meal 
and it's actually healthier for you than wine. Um, so it's it's a big job. You know, there are those people who say, well, you're, you're the brewing professor. You're going to say it's good, aren't you? Um, <laughs> and they, you know, um, don't accept the fact, uh, unfortunately, that I'm prepared to uh, observe that, you know, there's good and the bad in everything. And, you know, abusing uh, alcohol, including beer, is not a good thing. But equally, I think it would be wrong that uh, for the, to have the attitude that some people have, which is, well, beer is just a down market drink for people behaving badly. And that's not true. Because I remember a few years ago, or maybe a decade ago, there was seemed to be a notable study where red wine was considered very healthy. It had the resveratrol, res- resveratrol and everyone mm. got so excited. Mm-hmm. Has there been a study either from your uh, from UC Davis that kind of you can use as a similar to that as we C? Do two, we do two types of study at UC Davis. We do direct experimentation uh, and we also survey the literature and bring it all together. In terms of the, the studies showing the, the benefits of red wine in cutting down the risk of atherosclerosis, coronary heart disease, blocking of the arteries, uh, there have been countless studies all over the world that show it's, it's not about red wine. Um, it's any alcoholic beverage in moderation cuts down the risk of uh, atherosclerosis, basically lowers the, the level of bad cholesterol. And there have been lots of studies, a notable one was in Hawaii, um, that beer is just as effective as red wine. This resveratrol uh, stuff is a nonsense. You've got to drink countless bottles of red wine every day to get enough resveratrol. It's, it's the alcohol that is the key uh, factor. Um, but brewers have been reluctant to to push that message. They, uh, you know, they they would prefer to leave it to one side. Whereas the the wine lobby and uh, wine people have been very happy to celebrate the the merits of moderate consumption of wine. Uh, I'm celebrating the moderate consumption of beer, and there's far more beneficial nutrients in in beer than than there are in wine. And we've highlighted a number of those and made a lot of measurements uh, showing high levels of some beneficial materials in beer. So I'll, I'm wondering if you can give a very condensed history of beer and brewing. <laughs> I feel like with monks were involved in uh, finding out the ingredients of beer actually combined together could make a good beer. Am I, am yeah, I right? What, well, it, how it did goes, beer become beer? Well, it goes far, far, far further back than that. I mean, whether it was 6,000 or 8,000 years ago, I mean, thousands and thousands of years ago. Um, and it, it arose purely as an accident um, in uh, the region that is generally referred to as the Fertile Crescent. So it's a region around places like Iraq these days and that's where it arose accidentally somebody got some grain wet and it it started to sprout and they they dried it and stopped it sprouting and it got a nice malty flavor and then they they stored it and it got wet and and wild yeast obviously got in there and made some alcohol and I like to say well they put the finger in tasted it tasted good drank it fell over they thought this is a good idea and so they they changed the lifestyle from being nomadic to uh, one where they stayed put and it's it's I think generally accepted now that the development of agriculture including the um, development of growing crops barley particularly for things like beer um, led to the sort of the the uh, static lifestyle more than a nomadic lifestyle and um, you know, there's still some beers in parts of the world that are essentially made that way. Um, there's one called Booza, of all things. How uh, do you spell it? B-O-U-Z-A. Uh, and um, much later, um, 
And again, you mentioned the church. They got involved more and more. Um, people sort of refined the process. And they were putting um, herbs and spices in there to actually flavor things. It was actually St. Hildegard von Bingen who is credited with being the, the first person to say hops lend um, protective value to beer. They are antiseptic. They stop um, microorganisms from growing. It's true that hops are uh, antibacterial. And so, you know, we, we, we got saints on board with beer as well. Um, did he become a saint because she? She, she oh, a she. She. Um, no, I don't think she was sanctified because of that. But, uh, um, but you know, if you look back, I, I there's a, a description of a brewery in London from 500 years ago, and if you look at the description and just saw the list of things, you'd say, well, that was a brewery. If nobody told you it was a brewery, you'd say, well, that was a brewery. So the brewing process for hundreds of years now has, has remained reasonably constant, um, but. Uh, uh, certainly in the last 150 years, so much science has, has been uh, dedicated to unraveling the, the malting and brewing processes that we, we still have a very traditional process, but it's nowadays very well controlled and, and there are no excuses for anybody not producing great beer. If they know what they're doing, uh, everybody should be able to make great beer. So for your own personal history with beer, you got your degree in biochemistry, you drank beer. How? What's the history in terms of you getting into the science of beer and what brought you to UC Davis? Right. Uh, so I, I was a uh, biochemistry student at the University of Hull um, in Yorkshire in England. And um, the most important thing I did there was meet my wife. Uh, but uh, um, but I stayed and did a PhD there in, in, in uh, enzymology. I'm an enzymologist, and brewing is about enzymes. Uh, whether it's the enzymes in the germinating barley or the enzymes in the yeast, uh, it's, it, you know, if you don't have enzymes, you don't get beer. Um, and obviously, as a student, I um, had a, an enjoyable lifestyle that involved a reasonable amount of beer consumption. Um, and then I went to become a postdoc in the north of England. And when you're a postdoc, you, you, you spend your first year sort of beavering away, trying to get experiments done and publishing papers, and your second year scanning the pages of uh, the back pages of scientific journals looking for jobs. And one of the first jobs that took my eye was at a place called the Brewing Research Foundation, which was a, um, a large country house in the south of England, just south of London. And they were doing fundamental research on beer and the raw materials of beer. And they wanted an enzymologist. Well, there you go. Give me a job. I can do that. Um, it could just as easily have been something totally different. It could have been a food institute. It could have been a cancer institute. It could have been who knows what. Um, and the thing that really uh, impressed me was I went for interview on the Thursday and on the Saturday the offer arrived um, in, at, ho at home. So I thought they really want me. So that was 1978 and um, I, I, I went in there. And things went well for me. It was, a, it was an organization that was paid for by a tax on every barrel of beer. So every barrel of beer in the UK had a small amount of tax levied on it. And um, all of that was collected together and used to pay for this research organization doing fundamental research on beer. Um, so the biggest paymasters were Bass because Bass brewed more beer than anybody else. And the, the brewers viewed BRF, uh, Brewing Research Foundation, as being a recruitment ground. So the, the, they would see you in action and they'd say, well, I'd like that one, I'd like this person. And I went to Bass um, in 1983 
became research manager in 1984. So I was running all the research for the Bass Brewing Company in 1984. Then they said, hey, you've got to get the smooth edges knocked off. You've got to get, get out. And so uh, I went to become the QA manager, quality assurance manager, the biggest brewery in uh, the group. Um, before going back to the Brewing Research Foundation to head up to be the director of research. And I was also an adjunct professor, visiting professor at Harriet Watt University in Edinburgh. And so in uh, 1998, um, um, they, at UC Davis, um, started advertising for this Anheuser-Busch endowed professor. They wanted somebody who had a long history of doing research on beer. They wanted somebody who had been in the industry and they wanted somebody who had been in academia. So give me a job, I can do that. <laughs> I think I was probably the only guy on the planet who checked all the bases. And so I came here in 1999. And so how did you feel about California and Davis when you first got here? Was it? Hot. <laughs> Hotter than England, that's for sure. It was a big decision um, because uh, my wife and I had three children. Um, the eldest, um, stayed in England to finish his education because he was a, he just started at the University of Sheffield. Um, the youngest was only four, uh, so we had a big spread between our, our kids. She was only four, so it was no big deal for Emily. But uh, the middle one, she was 14, and that was a big, tough. A big uh, move for somebody of that age. Um, so uh, it, it took a while to settle, <laughs> and we started a house in England we had to sell. Um, but, you know, we, we, we settled, and here we are. And what was the what was the Department of Malting and Brewing Sciences like at that time? Well, pe uh, brewing had been taught at Davis since 1958. Um, a, a brewery had been donated to UC Davis in 1958 by the Lucky Lager Brewing Company from San Francisco, a guy called Ruben Schneider. So uh, brewing had been taught for a number of years. Um, but uh, my predecessor, although he was teaching brewing on campus, um, it remained a fairly small venture. Um, and he was rather more focused on developing um, uh, a business off, off, off campus. So there wasn't a lot of investment um, on the campus. So when I arrived, I inherited basically um, that same little old brewery uh, and a laboratory which had not really been developed at all. Um, so what I had to set out and do was to develop, primarily develop the facilities, and we've come a very long way now. Uh, we have some really remarkable facilities, um, and for that we're, we're grateful to a number of uh, people in the industry who have been very generous to us. Um, and uh, we, we, we view our role as serving the whole of the, uh, the malting and brewing industry and associated industries, um, and we have friends in companies large and small, so we're, we're very blessed in that way. So in higher education, there's uh, a lot of research, teaching students. What is what is the mix for you? Yeah, I mean, UC Davis is you know, very much a research university, and research is very important, and we, we've done a lot of research. But like other professors on campus, there are really three roles that I have to fulfill. The first is, is research, the second is teaching, the third is service. And I'll be perfectly frank of those, the one that, you know, and I'm getting older, young, research is a young man's game, but uh, I, I, I'm less excited by research. I'm, I've always been excited by teaching and, and the service function. So spreading the good words about beer out and about, that's my you know, main service role. In teaching, I probably teach as much, if not more, than anybody on the campus. Um, we have our campus classes. Um, 
one of which I've now put online. So we're not only teaching students at UC Davis, we're teaching students in other uh, campuses in the UC system. What's the name of that class? That's Introduction to Beer and Brewing. So I started on on campus and, uh, you know, we, we get more than 1,000, 1,400 students every year. Still goes on campus. My brewer, Joe Williams, teaches it now. But I'm doing it online as well now uh, because... And that's relevant to uh, extension students as well. You know, there's lots of brewers out there. And, you know, in small breweries, you know, their day job, they're brewing beer. They can't get to Davis for a, even a few days. They, they need to be educated. And so distance learning is very important. It's going to become increasingly important. Obviously, we have the, the, the higher um, uh, level um, um, upper division, complicated, if you like, malting and brewing science and the practical brewing class. We have this beautiful brewery now, so and uh, uh, large and small breweries in it, and so we we do this uh, uh, education, the practical, because brewing is a practical art. If you don't do, if you don't have the practical, you know you can learn so much in theory, but you you've really got to get your hands dirty. Um, and you know, we, but we do have a lot of extension classes as well. So you know, on campus and off campus, uh, I I de- dedicate a lot of my time to teaching, and I very much enjoy it. What are the, I don't know, takeaways is the right word, but what do you want every one of your students, whether they're going to be hands-on in the business or just interested in beer, what do you want them to take away after a class or uh, getting their degree? Well, there's a lot of science involved in the brewing of beer, so um, they they have to get it and they have to understand the ins and outs of, you know, how and why barley is converting to malt. Waters in hops, how to extract them, you know, the, the, the yeast metabolism and how it all comes together in terms of beer. Um, so the theory is very important. The practical is absolutely important. You know, I remember um, my good friend Ken Grossman saying to me once, you know, students that come to Sierra Nevada they, they, from Davis, they, they, there's no question, they know it all. Um, but there's one or two of them, you know, that are a bit like a deer in the headlights when they when they get into the brewery, and you know, wow, you know, and you know, it's you know, there's things you, the things you cannot le- learn in a classroom or out of a textbook. There are things you have to learn in um, a brewery, and that's why we're so blessed to have our practical uh, brewing um, facility uh, at UC Davis, and that's why I'm blessed to have a great brewer, Joe Williams, who. You know, he started off life making hot rods, and he's a very hands-on, practical guy. And he's the guy who says, "Hey, let's strip this pump down and take a look inside the pump, and this is how it works, and this is what's likely to go wrong." And and they get it. Um, but we're very uh, we insist that students, wherever possible, go into an internship or so on. Um, so, you know, learning it uh, at the the coal phase, if you like, is very important. We, we have a lot of extension students who've done the coal face and then they come and, and I teach them and talk to them in the classroom and they go, aha, I get it. Now I understand why we do this. So you can do it that way around as well. So whichever way you do it, you've got to have the theory, you've got to have the, the practice. But you also, well, the other thing I want the students to do is respect beer. Uh, respect beer for what it is and respect other people's beer. You know, there's, there's lots of beer out there and um, not every beer is going to um, be something that everybody likes. Um, but I hate it when one brewer criticizes another and is rude about another company. So uh, um, what I encourage the students to do is to just um, sing your own praises, do your best, make great beer, and let people be the judge of whether it's great beer or not. You had mentioned uh, Ken Grossman, who, for those who don't know, is the founder and CEO of Sierra Nevada Mm -hmm. Brewing, which arguably 
Could be said, put California craft beer on the, uh, on the map. I, yeah, I, well, some people would say it was uh, Fritz Maytag Fritz and Ankerstein. Anker that, that, that was the, the pioneer, and uh, Jack McAuliffe at New Albion. But, you know, I've been in this industry, for, it's 39 years now, and, um, you know, by the time I retire, it'll be good, more than 40 years. I, I insist that Ken Grossman is the most impressive guy I've ever met in the industry. Um, there is no question. Uh, whether it's uh, good brewing, good beer, whether it's caring about people, um, whether it's the environment, um, the architecture of the breweries. I mean, his two breweries are spectacular. Um, he just does everything right. And he's a very humble and uh, understated sort of guy. He, he is just... Here's, here's the guy that uh, people should try to emulate, I think, if, if at all possible. I often say, people say, what book should I read? I say, well, you can read any of mine. They're all great. But you really should read uh, <laughs> Ken Grossman's um, Beyond the Pale. Pale. Um, Beyond the Pale, L. Beyond the Pale. Yeah. <laughs> but he, you know, if you really want to know just how challenging it is to, to get to a place to where he did, um, that, that, that's what uh, people should study and, and try to learn from... Uh, from the maestro. And for our Brewmasters event on October 11th, we're having the just recently retired head brewer of Sierra Nevada, Steve Dresler, who I'm sure you know very well. Actually, Charlie helped me get him for the event. So the all-American boy, as I called him, with the blonde hair and the shorts. You know, so <laughs> when I, you say, what was it like when I first came to uh, to Davis? And, and Steve was one of the first time I met. I thought, well, that, that's my impression of what an all-American boy looks like. <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got a distinct haircut I've noticed from photos. So yeah. it'll be great to talk with him. And in terms of your time at UC Davis, um, I wanted to ask about milestones that you just are very proud of in terms of, I know you've had plenty of students graduate. Are there any ones that that have just really stood out in terms of doing big things uh, either on campus or off campus? Just, well, well or, there are so many. It'd be, uh, yeah. it'd be almost invidious for me to pick them out. I mean, by the time you add up all the students have been in the um, the lower division class, the general education class, you know, fourteen hundred a year, you know, and I've had I've had baseball players like Daniel Descalso and all sorts of. I didn't even know they were in the class, but they were in the class. But in terms of of people who went on to be very prominent in the brewing industry, there are some uh, that have, for example, started their own brewing companies. Uh, there's a guy in uh, Colorado called Troy Casey who has got the Casey, um, what do they call it, brewing and blending or blending and I don't know his exact name of his company, but he's into sour beers now I'm not, I'm not a sour beer fan but 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 Troy came studied with me and he's set up a very successful business uh, we've got uh, Scott Vaccaro running the Captain Lawrence Brewing Company in in New York um, lots of brewers have, have gone to the larger um, brewing companies we've had countless that have gone into uh, Anheuser-Busch uh, into Coors into Miller and so on so the, li- the list frankly is is endless then I guess a part two to that question would be, how has UC Davis collaborated with and helped breweries, you know, uh, who've been around forever and new ones in terms of doing things in a different way or new and notable? Yeah, we, we, we there's a long history of, of UC Davis, long before my time, being involved with um, helping people. We talked about Sierra Nevada. I mean, Ken Grossman, who literally is the ultimate in self-taught um, uh, people, he uh, used to come to the library at UC Davis when he was first kicking off and scrutinize the library. And he also spent a lot of time um, 
in the laboratory um, with a guy called Doug Moorman. Doug, who these days is uh, heavily involved with soot work in Davis. Doug was for many years um, the top technical officer for the, the old Anosa Bush company before they were taken over. Um, and Doug, when he was a graduate student, did a lot to help uh, Ken Grossman. And I think I'm right in saying, I think it says this in Ken's book, that the first guy to give Ken the idea of making pale ale was Doug Mulman. So um, th there's a great example there. But even more recently, um, the brewery I have on campus, we help people with it. Um, it's an income stream, so people can come and do trials. But we've helped a couple of people recently, for example, uh, make uh, uh, gluten-free beers. We helped a guy make a, a product called Buck Wild, uh, which is made out of buckwheat and, and millet. And we helped a woman make a, a beer called Sufferfest. Um, I think the suffer comes from the fact she's an athlete and, you know, she put herself through it. But she wanted a beer uh, when she'd finished. Um, but because she was gluten intolerant, um, she needed to um, have a beer that she could drink. She decided to uh, develop her own and we helped and we did formulate those beers for her. So, I mean, there's a long history of it. We, we, we all the time, I'm uh, advising people and helping people um, and giving guidance on what they should and should not be doing. So what are the some what are the key traits? What makes a good brewer or good brewmaster? What are the key traits this person should have? Uh, dedication to quality. Um, there is no question the the, the, the the ultimate yardstick of of beer uh, is is quality. And by quality, um, I mean consistency. Um, you know, and what's quality to one person is not not necessarily perceived as being quality to another, you know. But what you should expect, um, whether it's beer or anything else in life, is uh, when you buy something, it should meet your expectation. It shouldn't be a shock. So a brewer uh, uh, should be dedicated to doing that. And I think also should be dedicated to those um, who, who are around him or her. Um, my old boss in Bass, I often am quoted as saying this, uh, it's a guy called Robin Manners. And he used to say, Charlie, there are two things that matter in Bass. One is the... Uh, people and the other is the quality and if you look after the people they will look after the quality and um, if you look at the tremendous success stories people like uh, Sierra Nevada um, Coopers in Adelaide Australia um, Bells in Kalamazoo Michigan the, these are companies that are they're like big families and they believe in their people and they give the great great uh, rewards to those people they put them in a good uh, environment and they're committed to doing things right and and that's what it should be i fear that there are some very large brewing companies that have strayed away from caring about people and no names <laughs> but um there are some that you know frankly you think do they really care about people or is it all about making a profit and I actually, I was going to ask you about that, again, pulling another quote that you had in the introduction, I believe, of your book, Beer is Proof God Loves Us, about the current status of the beer industry. Um, I thought this was interesting when you said, the world of beer is hugely different from that I first glimpsed as a too young drinker, close to the dark satanic mills of my native Northern England. Has beer, I wonder, lost its soul? And with so many multinational companies, which I guess now command nearly, well, more than a quarter of the world's mm. beer market, what does that, what do you see happening? Um, it's it's a different. It's a strange world out there, and everybody keeps banding around this word craft. 
fact, and 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 um, I think we need to differentiate the the people who make the beer from I don't know the bosses almost should we say. Um, and nobody should argue with, or can argue with the fact that there's some wonderfully accomplished technicians, brewers, brewsters in the large companies. Um, but some companies, I think, have lost their soul. Um, and it's too easy to just to to um, buy up and consolidate, and and you know, some there's a history, and it's gone on for years. And let's be frank, the old Bass Company grew by. Uh, acquiring other breweries and then closing them down and what does that mean for the local environment you know what for the local populace you know it you're taking away their the locality but you're also sort of putting local people out of out of jobs and so on so it's it's and I'm you know, I'm no economist but I I do care about people and I think the more rationalization goes on um, the the less good it is for for local communities and local environments so the companies I've mentioned already, the ones that I admire, uh, they're, they're developing role. They're, they're getting bigger and they're, they're employing more and more people, and they've got a very much got a local, a local uh, priority. You know, Ken when he went to um, Asheville in North Carolina, he was at pains to insist um, that he would only go there if the local community welcomed him. To start a, a to second start, brewery. To start the brewery in North Carolina, he said, if, if they said no, you're not welcome here. He wouldn't have built it there. And, and of course, they said, no, bring it on, because if you've got somebody uh, like Sierra Nevada, that, that, that raises the game for everybody. Um, and, and that's what I admire in, in the brewing industry. I don't admire people who, um, who have policies like you know, make, making people wait huge uh, numbers of days before they'll pay them, you know. Um, um, and it's you know it's a difficult thing to talk about, uh, but nonetheless, I think there are some business practices which are unpleasant, should we say? Um, and I, I'm not absolutely sure that we we are in a level playing field in in this country when it comes to to brewing. And uh, it's a great challenge for for new brewers to, to 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 succeed. I think they will succeed if they have quality beer, but they have to be able to sell it. Um, and for some of them, the model is is basically, um, you know, the tap room and uh, with the food truck outside and so on, and that's fine. But uh, it's a big competition to get out there into the marketplace. And um, I, you know, I'm perhaps I'm naive. I don't know, but uh, I think uh, it, it needs to be as level of playing field as possible. So here, closer, well, on the ground here in California, from your view as a resident and and lover of beer in California what do you does that apply also here to uh, the craft beer scene in Northern California it's such a hotbed and there's so much talk what do you see going forward in challenges yeah. and and uh, and uh, I'm promises no, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm no seer should we say um, there are some things that have happened recently that I would never have uh, forecast I was I was actually on a lecture tour in Australia and Two very prominent brewing companies in Sacramento closed their doors when I was away. Um, Rubicon and, uh, and American, American River. River, and I was shocked. Um, and uh, I can assure you that wasn't on the basis of uh, any quality failures. Um, um, so you know, like I say, um, quality is essential, but you've got to have 
you know, the finances have got to look right as well. The model has got to be right. Um, I guess it's possible to overstretch yourself. Um, it's e it's very possible to understretch yourself, you know. Um, some people think, oh, well, you've got to brew on a pico scale and and every decent beer is brewed on the minuscule scale. Well, yeah, but you know, if you try to sell minuscule amounts of beer, you'll make minuscule amounts of money. Um, but you can go too big the other way. So, you know, I'm, I'm not a businessman, uh, as my wife will tell you. But uh, um, it's, you know, it's interesting. It's a totally different world now. We've got so many different breweries uh, in this region alone. It's an exciting, exciting place. And California is, a, is, 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 is an inspiration when it comes to, uh, to beer. But uh, some will fall by the wayside, and it's the ones with the right business model making great, consistent beer that will win through. Well, we planned this event, uh, the Brewmasters event, and the podcast around it at the right time because uh, you are going on sabbatical, I believe, next year for the spring. Yep. And you will be coming back to teach in the fall, right. and then you retire I do, end of December end of 2018. End of December. Why? Why are you retiring, Charlie? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, you know, I'm fond of saying something Charles de Gaulle said, the graveyard is full of people who thought they were indispensable, um, you know, and life will go on. Um, you know, I'd, I'll be, when I retire, how old will I be? 66. Um, and that's, that's fine. I've, I'll have been in the industry for 40 years. Uh, I'll tell you, I was, I was, um, uh, and it shows uh, the fact that I've said things many, many times. But uh, I was recently on the local uh, TV uh, uh, show with Scott Syfax, and, and my son recorded it. And every few moments, he paused it and said to his girlfriend, uh, "My dad's going to say this now." And then he started off again, and then he stopped it and said. Yeah, he's going to say this now. So if my son is, if I'm so damn predictable, it's time I gave it up. But uh, <laughs> No, I'll have been at the UC Davis for 20 years, and um, it, it's a good, convenient time to retire for, for many reasons. And uh, we, I'll still be in Davis. Um, I, I won't be hovering around the university, but I'm, you know, if, if somebody says, hey, could you come over to such and such a place and give us a talk? Could you come into a studio in Sacramento and do an interview? Yeah, I can do all those things. Got lots of books still to to, to write, um, and uh, and for thirty odd years I've been writing about uh, football. Uh, I never made it as a goalkeeper, but I've I've written about it <laughs> extensively, and I'll be doing even more of that. And you're also looking for your, I guess, replacement, your successor right now. We are. Um, so the the advertisement's out. Um, what are the job? Well, I know it's extensive to job requirements, <laughs> but anyone here who's interested. Uh, um, there, there are. There's one or two uh, uh, signs of interest. Yeah, you know, one thing you've got to have is a PhD, and one thing I've not trained as PhD students. Uh, and the reason I've not over the years is the number of jobs that are available for, in the brewing industry for people with PhDs is very few. Um, when I joined the industry back in 1978, all the big brewing companies all over the world had big research programs, and they were they were doing a lot of fundamental science. Those days are all gone. Over here in the States, um, Miller had a phenomenal brewing program in Milwaukee. Uh, up in Canada, in, uh, in London, Ontario, Labatt had a huge program. But all those programs have, have gone now. Um, so how many opportunities are there for PhD students? So it's, it's biting me in the rear end now because I've not trained any PhD students <laughs> to succeed me. But, uh, um, but there is a, the, 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 the number two uh, brewing program in, uh, in the United States is in... Uh, Oregon State in Corvallis, so there may be some interest from there. But um, we're getting interest from Europe, 
Um, oh, so, um, I mean, there's some significant brewing schools in the UK, Belgium, Germany, um, and um, the chances are there'll be uh, a lot of interest from there. So uh, we'll see. We will see. That'll be interesting to see who, who succeeds you and uh, carries on your legacy. Last question for you. Uh, Obviously, there's wines that people break out for, and champagnes for special occasions. <laughs> and I do remember when I asked the the first question at the panel discussion last year on the uh, California craft beer, I asked everyone, what's the best beer you've ever had? And I think you said the best beer is always the one right in front of me. But I was wondering if there was a special, you don't have to name names, any special type of beer that you believe when you, right. when you uh, want to kick back and look back at your 20 years, well, more than... Forty years. About forty years in the industry. It's a good. It's a good beer to yeah. to look and reflect and ponder. I, I mean, it isn't easy for me to talk about uh, specific brands, but I mean styles. Um, styles, yes. Um, and it, and unfortunately, it's a style that's not very prevalent in uh, in California, and that is the traditional English cask conditioned ale. So uh, I often say that you know, with with the hand pump, you know, in England, and I. When I do that, I say it's like Pavlov's dogs. I just got to move my hand as I'm pulling a, a beer handle and I'm thirsty, you know. So, um, you know, if I go into a pub in England uh, and I uh, don't see these beer handles, I'm kind of distressed and I walk out again. So, you know, historically, and that stems back to the owl in Poland, um, it, uh, it's beer on tap, um, cask-conditioned ale that is my favorite style. Um, and sometimes it can be great, but it's very temperamental, and sometimes it's not so great. So a good quality English cask conditioned ale would uh, suit me very nicely. Charlie, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you. I'm sure all of UC Davis and California beer drinkers thank you for your contributions to the, to the beer industry. And uh, cheers. Thank you very much indeed.